Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we can come together from wherever we are, whatever our situation, whatever our mindset, whatever our day, whatever it looked like out there. We're not coming just into the church. We're not just coming into a building. We're not just coming into a, a live stream. No, we're coming into your word. We're wrapping ourselves in your word. It's the protection that we have against the effects of this world on us. And inside that wrapping, Father God, we find peace, we find refreshment, we find healing, we find all the things that you have promised because your word is your promise. And so, Father, as we just wrap ourselves up in your word tonight, we are so grateful that you sent your word and it burst forth into the form of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, you did all that was expected of you. And then you sent us the wonder and the beauty of the Holy Spirit. And we get to experience a relationship with you, all three of you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. All of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Well, a big welcome as we continue Life 1.0. You'll notice that the stool is back. Haven't sat on the seat of wisdom in a while. And I thought, well, I... I'm going to need the seed of wisdom if I'm going to be preaching out of the book of Revelation. So here we are. Get ready. Buckle up. Um, the Lord has been doing a lot in my head. You probably heard about that on Sunday. Well, the plans for even for tonight's meeting has changed about three times. So uh, we're going to start, though, with this statement. True purpose is found in having a passion for Jesus. Can I get an amen on that? True purpose is found in having or finding or grounding ourselves in having a passion for Jesus. You see, it's like this. Have you ever been standing at a miniature golf hole? This is heavy theology now. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to bear with me. And you know that you've got to hit it straight down the middle because straight down the middle there's one of those little angled blocks and if your ball hits square in the middle of that angle, it's going to roll straight into the hole. Hole in one. And no matter how much you line yourself up, how many of you know that it very rarely hits square in the middle of that square block, that angled block? Man, it seems to go off in every other direction. And so it is with finding our true purpose. We stand over the ball. In our mind's eye, we can see purpose. We can feel purpose. We know what we think is boiling in our heart to be achieved in the name of everything good. We know that at the end of time, we would have had to wanted to win American idols. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm dreaming now on my own. We know that we've got a purpose. It's tangible to us. And then we get to play life. And we get to swing that club and see what happens. And how many of us hit true purpose every single time? Very rarely. But you know what? I think we're aiming for the wrong thing. Because I think that if we are genuine about seeking our purpose in having passion for Jesus, because of what He's done, we can't miss. So if we are missing our purpose, we've missed what we aim our purpose on. Am I making sense? Because you see, Jesus said, I'm the author and perfecter of your swing. I'm the author and the perfecter of your faith. And so when you put your focus on me, when you put your passion 
on me, you can't miss your purpose. So if you're sitting in the audience tonight and you're feeling like, hmm, I think my life's got purpose. I've kind of hit to the left. I've kind of hit to the right. I'm kind of there, but I'm not there. This message is for you. Because we need to feel that we are square on purpose. And to be square on purpose, we have to be square on the passion of Jesus in our lives. If you've lost purpose, you've lost passion for Jesus is what I'm trying to say. If you're feeling like there's a little bit of loss of purpose in your life, well, tonight's the night that we're going to unlock it. Because you see, I believe questions like where do we come from? Why are we here? What are we doing here? What's the purpose of it all? Is some of life's most challenging questions. And as a result, over the next three weeks, we're going to be taking a succinct look at what it is we will end up doing for eternity. And surely if God has got that plan for us for all eternity, we should be practicing on hitting the square of the angled block right now. Am I making sense? So I want you to kind of crack open your, your phones, crack open your Bibles. If you're at home, you can click on the notes tab because tonight is going to be a bit of a joyride through some scriptures. And I want, to, I want to see if just the Word of God, if we focus and put our passion in Jesus, if, if the penny will drop. So let's have a look. We're going to start off by saying to you this. Jesus is the full revelation of God to man. I want you to process that for a moment. I want you to think about what that means. It means that everything Jesus did was to reveal God to you. He didn't come to reveal Jesus to you. He called that the messianic secret. He wanted his identity to be secret so that you could see the Father. Jesus hid himself as the Messiah because he didn't want people to be thinking that he was going to come and overthrow the Roman government and establish himself as a king. He didn't want to be known as the promised Messiah because then people would get confused as regards why he came. He came to reveal to you the Father. To you. You see, when God says, or when the Bible says, that Jesus knew each and every one of us, from before we were even born, it means that Jesus had a purpose for each and every one of us. And the purpose that Jesus had for us was to know the Father. You see, by knowing the Father, we worship the Father. And that's what we've been designed to do for all eternity. What is my purpose on this planet? To worship God with everything you've got. You've got we've all got one purpose. Go therefore and make the disciples. That's worshiping God. Loving your neighbor, that's worshiping God. Loving God, that's worshiping God. And Jesus came to show us the Father so that we would know that the Father wants us to worship Him. And what do you mean? I thought God, God needs, God knows we want to worship Him. No, He might know that you want to worship Him, but sometimes we get a bit distracted. We need to know that our purpose is to worship God. And the only way we can attain our purpose is to know Jesus because Jesus introduces us to the Father. He's the full revelation of God to man. So therefore, the statement is, if you want to know purpose, know passion in Jesus. Because if you know passion in Jesus, you're going to be knowing the Father and you're going to be worshiping Him, fulfilling your purpose. Did you get that? So when we have a look at it, the fact that Jesus is the one being that introduces us to the Father means that He is the supreme being. 
So if you think about it, if I have to go off to some famous person's house and I've got to get through the doorkeeper, I've got to get to the doorkeeper and in that moment, the doorkeeper is the supreme being in my life. The, the person I'm coming to visit might be three doors, three rooms, four halls away, right there in the moment before I can get to the Father, the supreme being over my situation Allowing me into the party is the doorkeeper. He speaks on behalf of the supreme being. If you've seen him and he says no, the supreme being has said no. If you've seen him and he says yes, the supreme being has said yes. If you've seen him and he sends you packing, it means that the supreme being has sent you packing. You with me? Jesus Christ's supremacy is not in question when we say that he is the stepping stone to the Father. In fact, by saying that we come to the Father through the Christ, we are in fact saying that Jesus is the supreme being. Am I making any sense? So if we get that in place, Colossians 1 verse 15 to 20 puts it better. Now on Sunday, I preached with my first Bible. Today I'm preaching with my latest Bible. My latest Bible is an anniversary gift from my wife, and it is the Passion Translation, and I'm absolutely, absolutely loving it. If we have to flick over to Colossians, so if you see me kind of struggling to find a scripture, it's not because I'm struggling, it's just because pages stick together in a new Bible, and uh, we're preaching from a new Bible today. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20 in the Passion Translation says this, It is true that there are some who preach Christ out of competition and controversy. Some preach Jesus because when they preach Jesus, it's because they want numbers. They want people to listen to them. They want their church to grow. Now, we want our church to grow, but we're not in competition because we are a capital C church. We are just as much affected by the performance of another church down the road than we are by our performance in our church. We are expected to pray just as much for the church around the corner as we do for our own church. You see, we join hands with anybody who tells the story of Jesus Christ. Amen? Yes, we're interested in the health of our church, but if our church is healthy and no other church around us is healthy, what is the name of the church going to be? Unhealthy. So we are passionate about Jesus' church. Did you hear what I just said? If we're passionate about Jesus, we've got to be passionate about His church. Okay, we're going to get back to that in a few moments. Hold that thought. For they are jealous over the way God has used me. Many others have pure motives. They preach with grace and love filling their hearts because they know I've been destined for the purpose of what? Defending the revelation of God. Who's the revelation of God? Jesus. What is our purpose? To defend Jesus. Why? Because we know that Jesus, when we have passion for Jesus, we are associated with the Father. If we're associated with the Father, we are worshiping the Father. Right, now what we do is we continue reading. It says, those who preach Christ, sorry, I, I want to jump back to, I, I jumped to the scripture that I was going to go to after Colossians. I'm reading from Philippians at the moment. Those who preach Christ with ambition and competition are insincere. They just want to add to the hardships of my imprisonment, says Paul. Yet in spite of all of this, I am overjoyed for what does it matter as long as Christ is being preached? Say with me, what does it matter as long as Christ is being preached. Right. What does that sentence give me? 
It gives me liberty to give up my own personal passions and desires. What does it matter? Oh, but I want to build a business, Craig. What does it matter? As long as Jesus is being preached. Now, I'm not saying you don't need to go and build a business, but you want to build your business that makes sure that Jesus is being proclaimed. Why? Because your passion is on Jesus, because your purpose is worship God, and so therefore by keeping Jesus at the center of your business, you're going to be worshiping God. Right, now look and flick over with me to the same book, I mean the next book, same chapter and verse. Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. He is the divine portrait. Who are we talking about now? Jesus. He is the divine portrait the true likeness of the invisible God and the firstborn heir of all creation. For through the Son, everything was created, both in the heavenly realm and on the earth. All that is seen and all that is unseen, every seat of power, realm of government, principality and authority, it was all created through Him and for His purpose. Whose purpose are we chasing after? Jesus' purpose. You're going to miss the ball when you aim for your purpose if you chase after your own purpose and not Jesus' purpose. If we're, going to have purpose for, if we're going to have purpose in life, we've got to have passion for Jesus' purpose. He existed before anything was made and now everything finds completion in Him. He is the head of His body, which is the church. Remember we said we've got to remember the church. We'll come back to it. And since He is the beginning and the firstborn heir in resurrection, He is the most exalted one holding first place in everything. For God is satisfied to have all His fullness dwelling in Christ. Where does God's fullness dwell? In Jesus. Where is all of God backed? What is God backed? Where has He pushed all His chips into? Towards? Jesus. Does He have any chips on your purpose? Does He back anything around maybe making sure that your business is going to be the savior, salvation of the world? Does He put any chips on that? No. There's only one place that God has put all His, his chips in on. And that's Jesus. And by the blood of His cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to Himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. Back to its original intent. Have you ever felt like after you've been chasing your tail the whole day that you should have just stayed in bed? Yes? It would have been good if you could have just rewound the day back to its original intent, and that's for you to have a pajama day. Amen? Can you imagine if God could rewind all of our worries, all of our stresses, all of our desires to hit that middle block and get it in the hole, all of our focuses, all of, if He could just rewind and we could live out our original intent. Pure, unadulterated, original intent. Do you think Adam had purpose? He had purpose. You think Eve had a reason for getting up in the morning. Of course she had a reason for getting up in the morning. Wouldn't you get up in the morning if you knew in that evening you could walk with the one true God in the cool of the evening? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a, a reason to get up in the morning? Well, we have a reason to get up in the morning. Our reason to get up in the morning is to fulfill our purpose. Not your purpose, our purpose. Church purpose. Our purpose. You see why I've been underlining church all the time? We are the church. And when we culminate or when we cultivate a sense of purpose in unity, we are going to be moving towards Jesus. Jesus will not allow His church to go off in any other direction other than worshiping the true God. Does that make sense? 
God will make sure His church is on track. His church is the collection of believers. Okay? So when it comes to fulfilling our purpose, surely fulfilling our purpose has got to be attached to the church somehow. Surely, if it's all about a passion for Jesus, and Jesus is heading up this thing called the church, surely our purpose and our passion should be at one with the church. Well, who's the church? It's not the Victory Life Church building on the left-hand side as you drive down the road. That's not the church. Turn to your friend, your neighbor, and tell them this. I am the church. You are the church. I am the church. You are the church. You see, when we come together, we are the church. Our church is formed by having unity in collection of passion for Jesus. Oh, it's got many other aspects. Our church will burst forth if we have a passion for Jesus, will we be helping orphans? Of course we will. Will we be feeding the hungry? Of course we will. If you've done this to the least of me, these, you've done it to me. Of course, All of those are evidences of the fact that we are united in passion for Jesus. But they are not our purpose. Oh, I wake up in the morning and feeding the kids is, is what, it's what God put me on the planet to do. No, God put you on the planet to have a passion for Jesus Unite with others who have a passion for Jesus and see what he does. You don't have to design a program. You don't have to come up with something to do. You just have to have a united passion for Jesus. We, however, sometimes come together and we promote our passion for what we perceive the purpose of the church to be as what we should be doing when we're united together. Guilty. Oh, we've, we've got to do communion every single time we come together. That's what the Bible says. We've got to read the New Testament twice as much as the Old Testament. That's not because you think it's your purpose. It's because you don't understand the Old Testament. Just be real. I'm joking. We start putting our own passions and purpose on the throne, and then we get upset with the people around us who don't have the same passion that we do for the things we placed on the throne. And we call them non-Christians, heathens. How dare they call themselves Christian? I'm Christian, and I know what that is. No, you just understand what your passions are, and you've made them everybody else's purpose. It's called religion. Am I making sense? Jesus, on the other hand, his passion is for everybody to go in every direction of life and worship the Father, to experience things, to know things. Don't all group together under a little place called Victory Life Church and call it Babel. Ouch. Don't all rally under the grace theology and call it Babel because God will disperse you because there's a whole lot more to God than just grace. There's a whole lot more to worshiping Him than just Victory Life Church. There's a whole lot more to all of this stuff in us seeking and finding our passion. When we can swing towards Jesus Christ unitedly, we will feel purpose. Your job is to join hands with anybody that tells the story of Jesus and just get passionate for Him. For the Word, for what the Bible says, for what the Holy Spirit's revealing to you, Anything and anything and everything to do with the Word of God, you are to be on fire for. Because if we can all be on fire, can you imagine 
what the church could achieve in Jesus' name. Am I, are you with me tonight? So as we have a look at this theory that Jesus is supreme, and according to Philippians, Paul's entire purpose was to preach Jesus and preach the church. And then we flick over and we find what the purpose of Jesus and the church is in Colossians chapter 1. We now understand that if he's the head of the body, he must be somebody important. He must be really important. Well, in that scripture in Colossians, it tells us that he was at the beginning. And he'll be at the end. Over the next two weeks, other than this one, we're going to have a look at the beginning and we're going to have a look at the end. Didn't it say that Jesus was the maker of all things? Well, let's go back and find out. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and find out what that means. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 to 4 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. That doesn't sound like creation. That sounds like now. Doesn't it? The, earth's pretty, the earth is pretty dark and purposeless. How many of you know that if you get involved with the world, you're going to lose more of your purpose than you think you're going to gain? They're going to get you so distracted, so focused on as many things as possible. Here's the world's focus, summarized in two words. Look, squirrel. All the world wants you to do is look, look, squirrel, look, squirrel, look, squirrel. And you get to the end of the day, and you're so dizzy, and you're so confused, and you're so disillusioned because you've been looking left and looking right and thinking it's here and thinking it's there. It was described in Scripture as chasing after the wind. The world is dark, not because it's evil, but because it doesn't have the vision of Jesus, which is light, to focus on. Am I making sense? It's got every other vision installed as its purpose other than the source of light. We don't refer to the world as dark and sinful. No, the, the, the world is dark because they don't look to the light. Am I making sense? Your world is not dark anymore because you've turned and focused and have a passion for Jesus. You have a passion for the light. That's what Genesis 1 verse 1 to 4 is describing. It's saying there quite categorically that Jesus was in the beginning, the earth was formless, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the waters right now. When we go to the end, when we go to Revelation, the book of water and ocean is described as people. It's people. The Spirit of the Lord is hovering over people. Why? He doesn't want anybody to have no purpose. Why? Because if we have a purpose in Jesus, we have a hope, we have eternity, and we are saved. And He wants everybody to be saved. So when we have a look at this, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the dark, deep waters, and it's, it's hovering there, then God looks at the situation and goes, it's time for my son to come out. He then says, let there be light, and there was light. And God separated the light from the darkness. You see, if you've got light, you can't have darkness. And if you've got darkness, you can't have light. God has separated the two. There's no evening in your purpose. You either have a purpose, or you don't have the purpose. I kind of think I know. I kind of, you know what? You're playing in lukewarm territory. And when we jump to the end of the book, we'll find that lukewarm doesn't fit well in Jesus' mouth. God separated. It was either light or it was dark. 
And trust me, that light was blinding. It was Jesus. He separated the light from the darkness. Here's why. You can't have a focus on Jesus and be without purpose. Now say that again. You can't be focused on Jesus and be living without purpose. God separated the light from the dark. You can't be living in the light and, and be living in the dark. But the reverse is also true. If you're living without purpose, it means you have no passion for Jesus. If you're living in the gray, it means your passion is waning for Jesus. Trust me, if you're in the gray, you're heading towards darkness. Get back into the light. You see, when we have a look at that account of creation, then we flip over to 1 John 1, chapter 5, 1 to 5 in, in, uh, in, in, in the, living tr in the uh, uh, Passion Translation. It says, in the very beginning, the living expression of God was already there. And the living expression was with God, yet fully God. They were together face to face in the very beginning. And through His creative inspiration, this living expression made all things. For nothing has existed apart from Him. Life came into being because of Him. How many of you know that you had life before Jesus, but life came into you when you accepted Jesus? Amen? You had life. Your heart was beating. But where was your passion? Where was your purpose? It was kind of gray or dark, wasn't it? And when Jesus stepped into the place, there was light. The light of that darkness, the expression is the light that bursts through gloom. The light in that darkness will never be diminished. Your purpose will never be second rate if you focus on Jesus. That's what that scripture is saying to me. If I focus on Jesus, I'm not going to have a half-baked purpose. So therefore, if I have a half-baked purpose, I'm not completely focused on Jesus. Am I making sense? How many of you know that when you're shooting a rifle, you can't shoot through two scopes? You cannot shoot through. Have you ever tried shooting a rifle with a pair of binoculars? You might see clearly, but you're not going to hit your target. Am I making sense? You can look down one scope with both eyes, but you can't shoot a weapon with both eyes focused through two different, two different sights. You're not going to hit the target, your purpose, if you try and focus your potential down two different lines of thought. There's either light or there's darkness. Which one are you looking down? Am I making sense? Oh, you might look good. You might look really good. You might even be the envy of other people with your bifocal sight. But let me tell you something. You're going to be walking around without purpose because you're never going to hit the target. There's only one master. You cannot slay for two masters. You cannot look at your purpose through two lenses. There's only one lens that we can seek purpose through Jesus Christ. And his light burst into the world right at the beginning. Now get this. Get this. Revelation 1, 1 to 3. Check this. I mean, this is just awesome. Last book of the Bible, first three verses. First book of the Bible, first three verses. Check who it's about. Have a look in, in Revelation 1, 1 to 3. This is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Hello. Genesis 1 was the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Let there be light, and there was light. Ta-da! John 1, 1 to 3. Let there be Jesus, and there was Jesus. Ta-da! Revelation 1, verse 1. 
This is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Revelation is not a book on its own, people. Revelation is the same Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, right the way through the minor prophets, right into the apostles, right through Genesis to Revelation. It is all about Jesus. Why? Because God knows if you read your Bible, you'll be focusing on Jesus. You'll get a passion for Jesus. Therefore, you'll have a purpose. Your purpose will be to worship God. I can't tell you enough that this Bible is all about your purpose. Your purpose is not to tick off a Bible reading plan. Your purpose is to open this book and see the unveiling of Jesus Christ in your life. When you're dark, you need to unveil some light. Doesn't Scripture tell us you don't put your light underneath a basket? No, you unveil the light. Everything about this book, everything about your purpose is about the unveiling of Jesus. Here's the kicker. Jesus is shining light into every aspect of your life. Your finances, your relationship, your sexual conduct, your media, your every aspect of your life. Jesus has got a candle and it's burning. Sometimes in my finances, I'm kind of hiding the light. But it's burning brightly in my marriage. Sometimes it's burning brightly in my parenting, but it's not so bright in my life. I'm constantly in a process, Genesis through Revelation, of unveiling Jesus in aspects of my life. This is not a once unveiled, always unveiled task. Am, am I with you? Are you with me? Are we all together? So we are constantly in a process. From the moment God says in your life, let there be light, Genesis 1, we are constantly in a process of unveiling Jesus in different aspects of our lives. That's our purpose. If we have a passion for Jesus, I want Jesus to burn brightly in my bedroom and in my bank account. Amen? I want Jesus to buy my, and I'm going to have a passion to making sure that he's light. I'm looking at the target in my marriage or in my bank account through the one site. And if I'm not looking through one site, I'm going to sure as heck get one. Have a look further. This is an unveiling of Jesus, which God gave to Jesus to share with his loving servants. He clearly made it known by sending this angel. The angel then took the message from Jesus and gave it to John. Okay? I, John, bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Lean forward, I want to tell you a secret. When it comes to your next, the book of Revelation has got nothing to do with when Jesus is coming back again. It's got everything to do with the fact that Jesus has already come. It's got everything to do with Jesus already seated at the right hand of God, ruling as a king over all dominion. It's got nothing to do with trying to plot, well, maybe I can be evil until 1984 because Jesus is coming back in 1985. Trust me, I grew up a Jehovah's Witness. I know all about 1985. Maybe I can, I can, I can be wild until the December of 74 because Jesus is coming on the 15th of January 75. It's got nothing to do with foretelling when Jesus is coming back. It's got everything to do with us being able to see Jesus in Revelation, in Genesis, as the creative light of our world. See him changing humankind all the way through the Bible and then see him in finality, in completion, in completeness, raised and ruling as the King Supreme at the end of all time. We can see the whole story of Jesus 
Because if we can see the whole story of Jesus, we can have the whole passion for Jesus. If we can have the whole passion for Jesus, we can have full worship of the Most High God and find our purpose. When we study famous people, we can get a snapshot of their life. We kind of know that they came to fame when they were 25 and they died when they were 42 at the height of their career. It's like a little snapshot. If Jesus is eternity, the Bible gives us an eternal view of Jesus. From beginning to end and back to beginning again. You see, because the Bible starts with, I will now create a new heavens and a new earth. Exactly where it started at the beginning. Isn't that cool? So Jesus is saying us this eternal weaving of who he is, not just a snapshot. No, he didn't just, well, he came to fame when he was 30. And well, we lost him at 33. He was a good soul. Loved by many. Missed by his mother Mary. No, no. Jesus gives us a snapshot from all time this way to all time this way. He is supreme. Who cares who the vile beast is? Who cares who the dragon that was slain, that was cast down? Who cares if I get raptured before or after Jesus pours out a bowl? Who cares if Revelation describes bowls in heaven and, and all I know is my Jesus, who I have a passion for, ends up, starts up supreme? Amen? The only part I want to worry about is what could ever stop me from focusing on Jesus. And Jesus gives this message to John, and, he, and I'm going to run through these quickly because I'm already out of time. Yo. Anyway, this next week. There are seven things that Jesus says will rob you of your focus. Seven things that will rob you of your focus. And he speaks to them as if he's speaking to seven churches. Hang, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Rewind, rewind. So Jesus is focused on the church. We should be focused on the church. The very thing that Jesus in all his glory reveals to John is a story about his church. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it crazy that the very first thing in Revelation that's discussed is the church. Well, who's the church? Right. How many of us have read the scripture, the first two chapters of Revelation, we've gone, oh, that's the church. Oh, that's Tyatira, that's Laodicea, that's Philadelphia, that's Smyrna. Been there, by the way. Wonderful place. It's now called Izmir. It's in Turkey. Smyrna. Oh, that's Ephesus. No, that's, that's not us. We victory life. Victory life's not in there. Phew. That's because we make good coffee in our coffee shops. Jesus would never spit us out because our coffee's never lukewarm. No, no. He's saying there are seven things that will creep into the hearts and the minds of my people. There might be this church. There might be these people. There might be, but there are seven things. Remember, if we're going to discover our proper purpose, we need to be in unity. Focused on Jesus. That's our unity. Not, oh, well, we're a Pentecostal church. That's not our unity. No, our unity is not, oh, we're faithful. Oh, we're graceful. Oh, we're super filled. 
Yeah? No, no. Our unity is focused on Jesus Christ. And there are seven things, he says, that are going to creep in amongst the people and destroy your unity. How many of you know that when you're not united at church, you're going to be purposeless? Because you're going to be so busy gossiping about what robbed you of your purpose at church in the town that you're not going to be focused on Jesus. When somebody sits in your seat, may the Lord have mercy on the rest of us. Because you're going to tell us that someone sat in your seat. When somebody poor walks in the church and they don't smell so good, ooh, the pastor's going to get an email from me. You know what? They left the church and they didn't even take their coffee cups with them. It's gone. We may as well close the doors. Are you getting me? There's so many little things that will creep in to destroy our unity. Because if we destroy our unity, we destroy our focus. We destroy our focus. We destroy our purpose. Don't let anything rob you of your unity in the church. Oh, they Baptist. We victory. I don't give a rip. We are supposed to be united. But the Methodist, and they stand up and sit down. If I wanted to go to gym, I'd go to gym. They believe and they tell the story of Jesus, and so do we. Satan has got this church of ours so divided. And how? Well, he's used seven things to divide the church. And over the next two weeks, after this week, we are going to discuss how to fight these spirits that will come in amongst us. Now, here's the deal. A spirit doesn't come into the church through the front door. It comes into the church through your heart. We're not all of a sudden going to rock up here one day and there's a spirit of disunity here. No, there's going to be a seed maybe, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 to 11, that he wrote that this congregation had in Smyrna. It's going to be a seed maybe of intimidation. Intimidation is what the congregation, this is what the Lord has revealed to me was the spirit spoken of in, in Smyrna. The government my family, they allowed to talk into my life and I listened to them before I listened to Jesus. Your country right now is undergoing intimidation left, right and center from media, from politicians. Everybody wants to intimidate us into what we should believe. We can even be intimidated to hate the liberals in the name of Jesus. Oh, you know what they're doing on that far left? Oh, abomination. It's very silent in this church tonight. Here's the deal. We could even be the spirit of intimidation to the rest of the world. We want to intimidate them into believing in Jesus. They need Jesus. You vile, filthy creature. Oh, have we heard talk like that? We look at the others across the Jesus line and we go, shame. Oh, I pity their souls on the day of judgment. Is the spirit of intimidation creeping into you? Do you want to try and intimidate other people to worship Jesus like you worship him? Because that's what works for you, so therefore it must work for everybody else. You want to try and intimidate the pastor into giving you the counsel that you want to hear because it tickles your ears. Not this pastor. 
Oh, I've been in churches where through giving I've been tried, people have tried to intimidate me. Don't you know that we paid for? Yes. And don't you know that Jesus has paid for your sin? Intimidation is one way that the unity of the church will be disrupted. And that's what was being spoken of in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 to 11. Pergamum, Revelation 2.12, had the spirit of compromise. Um, well, maybe, maybe God flicked the first atom that started the whole evolutionary process. Maybe that's how we came to be. We came from apes, but, but God made the first fish to leap out of water, and then from there he let it happen. So it's quite possible that Earth could be 44 million hundred quadrillion billion years old. Or maybe, maybe it's not so bad if my son wants to marry my brother's son. Or maybe it's not, you know, that's free expression. Maybe, maybe God doesn't mind if I live this life because there's grace, you know. I, I can do whatever. God will always forgive me. Now you look like a fish out of water, flip-flapping this way and that way. No wonder we should believe in evolution. You just jumped out of the ocean and now you're flip-flapping this way and that way. The spirit of compromise. And I'm not even talking about theological compromise. I'm talking about compromising, focusing on Jesus. That's all I'm talking about. That was what happened in Pergamum. Then we got the congregation of Tyre, who was a whole lot of hurt people. In Revelation 2, verse 18 to 20, it was the spirit of Jezebel, which is the spirit of control and manipulation. I control and manipulate when you get close to hurting me, like I've been hurt before. That's when I control the most. Manipulation is born out of hurt. Hurting people cause hurt, right? When I've been hurt in a certain way, I'm going to manipulate situations so that you stay far away from what's actually happening in my heart. That division happens. Why? Because if I manipulate, away, manipulate you away from who I am really, I'm not being transparent and I'm certainly not being open. And there's something about vulnerability that breeds unity. Amen? Are you processing or are you just switching off? Processing. Spirit of control. I control when I've been deeply hurt. And I'll only control out of hurt if I haven't allowed the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to wash over the situation. Now I try and steer the situation so I can get the best out of it for myself because I don't want anybody to hurt me again. How many of us have, been, have succumbed to the spirit of control sometimes in our lives? Woo! From the pulpit. I've watched preachers trying to control the congregation. Don't buy televisions. They're from the devil. And we secretly find out he's streaming ESPN on his phone. You with me? Then in, Roman, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, we come to the congregation of Sardis. Traditionalism. I've always been like this. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, I want to say that if I'm focused on Jesus, I'm pretty sure his power can change anything. 
But we've always done it like this. Every Wednesday night is communion. So what? The Holy Spirit's doing a new thing. If you're a traditionalist, you won't like change. If you don't like change, you're in the wrong church. Because Jesus is changing me every single day. Didn't we just discuss that He's revealing light in different sections of my life all the time, every time? And I come together with other people whose lights are being revealed all the time, every time. And we, unit, we unitedly give praise to Jesus for revealing light into our lives all the time, every time. And if Jesus is revealing all the time, every time, there's change. If you don't like change, stay at home. Watch the grass grow. Because you're not going to grow. If you don't like change, you're in the wrong church. And I'm not talking about Victory Life. I'm talking about capital C Church. There's even change happening at the Baptist Church. I kid you not. People are growing in the Word there too. Lights are going on in churches that tell the story of Jesus. You can't tell the story of Jesus and not have the Holy Spirit change you slowly. So if you want to be traditional... And you want to do the same thing over and over again like we did it when my father did it, whose father's father did it, whose father's 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 did it. Well, you know what? You might have four fathers. I've only got one, and that's Jesus. I don't worship my ancestors. Traditional. I don't worship my ancestors. Then Philadelphia. Ooh, Philadelphia. It's a big one. Revelation 3, 7 to 8. They had the spirit of inferiority. Little old Boswell. Oh well, shame. They'll never amount to much. Little old me, what can I do? Well, you can go on walking like you're Eeyore. Oh well, oh me. Or you can get up, stand up, and live a life on fire, passionately focused on Jesus, and watch Him take you from Eeyore to incredible. But if you camp in the spirit of inferiority, it's going to destroy the unity of the church. Why? Because the church is being told there's something great, and you walking in the door saying something you're not great. You are not of step with what Jesus is telling the church. You are the light of the world, church. And I walk in there and go, just switch my lights off. Am I making sense? You're never going to be united with the church if Jesus is telling the church that you all are great and you walk in here saying you're not so great. Catch a wake up and start tweaking about yourself as Jesus speaks about you and that way focus on Him. Then we get the spirit, the opposite spirit in Revelation chapter 3 in Laodicea where the spirit of pride creeps in. And you know what the spirit of inferiority and the spirit of pride creates? Mediocrity. I don't think I'm good enough to ever do something and I think I'm so good that you always need to look back at what I've done. But neither are moving forward. Am I making sense? Spiritual inferiority will make you think that you'll never ever do anything, so you don't. And the spirit of pride is always asking people to look at what you've already done, not what you're doing or will do. Neither are moving forward. And Jesus says, either be hot, be cold. Either be light or dark. God is light and dark. He separated the light from the dark. He didn't put a gray rainbow in the middle. 
It was black or it was white. You are either on for Jesus or you're off for Jesus. You're either on for yourself and off for Jesus or you're off on yourself and off on Jesus. You cannot have it either way. The spirit of pride will create mediocrity because you walk around going, oh, remember when we had a church of 500? You've now got a church of two because everybody's walking around thinking about this church when it was at 500. Well, we did this when it was at 500. We did this when it was at 500. I did that when it was 500. What are you doing right now to focus on Jesus? Who gives a rip how many 500s we have? Jesus picked 12 and made sure that they were on fire. Even one of those burnt out. Make sure that neither the spirit of inferiority or the spirit of pride creeps in because then we're going to have mediocrity. Am I making sense? And so this is the first section of Revelation. I've just taught you Revelation from chapter 1 through to the end of chapter 3. These are the things that creep in and rob you of our unity, rob you of purpose, rob you of focus. Spirit of religion, spirit of tradition, spirit of inferiority, spirit of, of pride. And so we go. It's all in the book of Revelation. And when it speaks of Jesus for the first time in Revelation chapter 1, it speaks of his church. John sits there and he looks at Jesus. And as he looks at Jesus, revealed in all his glory, pouring out bowls and conquering dragons and doing incredible things, he looks at Jesus. And while all of this is going around, along around the throne of Jesus, do you know where Jesus is looking? Satan's being thrown out of heaven. Angels, are, there's moons turning red and stars falling to earth. And it's, it's, like, it's like this absolute divine, eternal whirlwind, mayhem, apocalypse, Arnold Schwarzenegger destruction. And Jesus, you know where he's looking? At his church. At his church. Why? Because at the end of Revelation, when all of this stuff is burnt out around Jesus, he's still looking at his church. He's still looking at you. He's still saying, thank you for focusing on me like I focused on you while everything else was happening around you. You see, you've got the apocalypse and Armageddon happening in your life right now. And Jesus is asking you, through all of that on the earthly realm, keep focused on me. And I'm going to give you an example of where eternal apocalypse is happening and I can still keep focused on you. Am I making sense? He says, that's how you do it. Through the storm, through Satan coming at you, you cast him out because you keep your focus on me. Because you know what? I was able to cast Satan out of the heavens because I kept my focus on you. I was able to walk through Armageddon because I kept my focus on you. I was able to conquer the demons. I was able to conquer Satan because you conquered Satan. You keep your focus on me. I'll keep my focus on you. And we'll walk through this thing into all eternity together in the light, focused on worshiping God. Come on now. You can't not want to go and read Revelation after that. All it is around is just an incredible story of how much distraction Jesus could have got caught up in, in the heavenlies. I'm not talking about your bank balance dropping below $100. I'm talking about 
the demons and the angels fighting against each other and warring and having to be put to death and raised up on the third day. All of this is happening around the divine being Jesus. And he goes, this is how you focus. You worship God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I love you. You will amount to much. I will make you famous. I will put you on into throne rooms that you never ever dreamed of going. I will give you health that you will, you will be amazed at. I will take ailments away from you. I will give you courage to face lions. And while Jesus is speaking this into your heart, Satan is taunting him over here and wagons with eyes in them and all sorts of things are going past him over here and, and, he's, and he just keeps going, pouring his promises into you, one after the other. He just keeps pouring them into you, keeps speaking to you. He's focused on you. He's looking at you through the lens of God's love and the lens of God's love only. And he keeps on speaking. And all of these things all around him, skies turning red and people turning on him and beasts coming up out of the ocean with seven heads and seven horns and one horn pops out and another one comes along. And all of this is happening. And he doesn't waver from speaking the promises over his church. He doesn't waver from speaking His promises over you. And the only way you can focus on the promises back to Him is by being in unity with each other. Why? Jesus can focus on you because He's in unity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We are called to focus on Him because we are in unity with each other. Amen? That is our purpose. Alrighty. Anybody get anything out of tonight? Hooey. So before we just jump into some ministry, I want to ask you, you want to share what's on your heart and your mind. I'm going to ask if Jared can grab a microphone and run amongst us. If you're online, I'll probably be online with you in the chat room asking you the same question. And just for those of you in the room, how we're doing it this Life 1.0 series is that whoever speaks is actually online when it gets broadcast in the chat room answering questions about what the message has just been delivered. So right now, for example, uh, for those of you who are joining us online, you would have just been watching tonight while we've been receiving this message, you'd have been asking Ryan Lawrence some questions around your finances online. And he's online right now in the Durand campus answering all of your questions. And so in a few weeks' time, I'll be online with you answering all your questions. So go ahead and join me in the chat room right now as we answer some questions. But just right now amongst yourselves, who wants to share something that you've learned tonight? Something that's, that's, that's come on in your life. It was about the book of Revelation. And you know what they say about Revelation? Revelation isn't learned, it's experienced. Revelation isn't learned, it's experienced. Did the Word of God speak into an experience in your life tonight? Would you like to share that? Just maybe it's one sentence that you got out of tonight. Why don't, you, why don't you share that amongst yourselves right now? Anybody want to share? Just put up your hand and say, yeah, I, I got this out of tonight. I got that out of tonight. There we are. Can we get a microphone to Miss Joyce over there? I don't normally do this, but I've been kind of frightened. But I know now that I can concentrate on Jesus for next week and I'm not afraid anymore and I, I know it's going to be alright and it's just a, a relaxed feeling 
And uh, I, it's just a lot. I don't know. It's just I know what I have to concentrate on now. And it's that's what I got out of tonight. Amen. And Amen. As you're speaking. Amen. As you're speaking right now, you you got to know this: that whatever the doctors are saying, whatever the the reports are coming back all around you and all the noise, you have an entire body of people that stands with you united, focusing on Jesus' purpose for your life, healed, well, complete, whole, still with a whole lot of road left in front of you. Nothing can rob you of that. Even in death, you are not robbed because Jesus wins. And if we're tucked in with him, Here's the deal. We win too. You are a winner. And no matter what noise is around you, you can have the peace. Now do you understand the peace that the Bible speaks about? You understand where we get the peace that the Bible speaks about? The same kind of peace that John saw in Revelation happening in heaven. It was peaceful and tranquil. And then he goes on to describe what's happening around heaven. And you go, how on earth could that be peaceful and tranquil? Now he knows because he looks at you and he sees the promise. He doesn't see the problem. What did you get, Jackie? I just wanted to say that I have never heard Revelation shared like that before. And about my parents, they've always said, be afraid of revelations. You know, it's judgment. It's you know, everything bad that's going to happen to you. So just stay away from that. So, but tonight I got that I can read that with peace. And now I know what that means, like talking about the church and the beginning being the us. I mean, he's talking about our life and we got to stay focused. That's what I got tonight. Amen. Hope that didn't sound too crazy, but no, it didn't sound crazy. it's just <laughs> enlightening for me. Amen. Amen. While the microphone goes over to Mr. Farmer, maybe you'd like to comment in the chat room right now and just say, hey, this is what I got out of today's message. Like Miss Pat, I've never heard Genesis, the first three verses explained like that. I've heard it explained a lot of other ways. The sun was hung and there's a long lapse between scriptures. I've heard, I've never, I've always heard, I've heard Pastor Dwayne say, the Old Testament types and shadows of Jesus. And when you said that Sunday, it just, it was profound. It just, it rocked me. I've never heard that. And it makes perfect sense. Amen. 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 Pastor, I thought of uh, one of my favorite scriptures, Matthew 6, 33. And I thought it lined up real, real well with your talk tonight. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And the kingdom is the church. The kingdom is Jesus. Jesus is the church. And it says, if we seek first the kingdom and His righteousness, all these things that we worry about will be added to us. Amen. Amen. You want to you want to go that side or this side, wherever. There's lots of hands going up. I hope there's lots of comments and dialogue in the chat room. What I got out of tonight was it, <laughs> everything coming together the, from the beginning to the end and all the way back again and the beginning and the middle and the end and all of it comes right back around to the 
to the same thing, the same theme, and and something that that's been on my mind that that I can add to what you said was that you know there's a thing that people say that you know we drank the Kool-Aid um, because we fall for this, that, or the other, and and you know a lot of times we look at people that have been on drugs or they've had this these horrible things go on in their life but one of the things that I did the Kool-Aid that I drank it didn't seem as obvious and it wasn't something that other people could necessarily see but it was what you were talking about about you know Eeyore and coming into the church saying well you know I'm not worthy and I'm you know I, I, I lived a, the majority of my life thinking that um I knew Jesus loved me from the very beginning. I cannot remember a time when I didn't know Jesus loved me, but just not quite as much as everybody else. And I drank that Kool-Aid, and 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 I and it's poison. It's poison. And and receiving the power and the authority that I have because I have the Holy Spirit in me and working through me. That authority is is it's amazing. And it's insane. It's <laughs> there. Yeah, there's no words. Amen. Anybody else want to share questions? I just wanted to say that I too, probably like Miss Pat and a few others. Um, when you read the first scripture of Genesis and then you read the first scripture of Revelations, Revelations is exactly what it says it is, but I never really quite caught that or understood. And I too was one that was afraid to venture too far into Revelations because it was scary. And when you really look at that, when he says the unveiling of Jesus Christ, so that was a profound moment for me. And so tonight, for my experiences, I don't have to be afraid to read Revelations. Um, there's been so many times that I have been pulled to that, but I've been afraid of it. And so now I can look at that with a whole new look. So I thank you very much. Revelation, I've always thought of it as a book written by John, but it really isn't. It's God, Jesus, giving his revelation to John to write to the churches with the church. Aggie and I have started a prayer meeting here on Wednesday nights at 6.30, and we pray for the body enough for 6.30, we pray for this body. We're new in the area. We've known Craig and Leanne for a couple of years, but we feel called, even though we live in Denison, we feel called to come here to Durant on Wednesday nights, and Durant Boswell on Wednesday nights, to pray for this community. There's a lot happening in God's church in Jesus' church 
we're happy to be a part of it. And I'm speaking to ask you to join us on Wednesday nights at 5.30. All we do is just pray for a half hour. We pray for the pastor. We pray for the church. We pray for the members. We want to pray for the property. We want this church to prosper. We want this church to be a shining light here in the Boswell community. And we want to pray for this community as well. That's what God's revelation is to me, that we are here to bring his word to everyone. Just from our own actions, little prayers. A couple of weeks ago, I called Lee and he wasn't feeling well. He wasn't going to come here. And then all of a sudden he showed up. He felt really at peace and felt better after we spoke on the phone. And that's because we prayed, Lord, heal this man, whatever's ailing him. And he showed up. And I had a great talk with him after that. And it was it's wonderful. That's what revelation means to me. And I think that's what revelation should mean to all of us. God revealing his word to us in many different ways. Amen. Amen. I too just want to say that um, all my life, um, preachers, I was taught that preachers don't really uh, preach revelation because it's so complex and in depth and it's hard to make people understand. And tonight I got a whole different perspective, a different outlook with it. Um, we've always been kind of like you were afraid you kind of tiptoed into it and just read a little here and a little there. And tonight after you explained, it's like it gave me an assurance to read now and to see where, 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 what lies ahead of us and what's coming in to not be afraid. And I'm just, um, I too am overwhelmed. I've never heard Revelation preached and you just started on it, so I can't even imagine. But I, I feel such a calm and such a peace about it now that I feel like I can just read it knowing that everything's going to be fine. And I'm just, I, you know, I, I just wish there were more people here that could have heard this tonight. Amen. And I just want to thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. So here's what's going to happen to the church if we don't get this right, this focus right. As a church, talking worldwide, the church will lose its faith. Worldwide, the church will lose its relevance. Worldwide, the church will lose its fervency. Worldwide, the church will lose its boldness. And worldwide, the church will lose its fellowship with the Most High God. Never, ever do we want to be in any one of those categories because all it takes is opening up your Bible and no matter what book you're reading, you're reading about your salvation. You're reading about Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling from the beginning to the end of Jesus 
Christ. And maybe you tonight, today, whenever you heard this message, you were thinking, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little, little nothing. I, I don't amount to much. I never have. I probably never will. I, I could never preach. You know, I've got this, this problem with my voice. I could never sing. You know, I, I'm off key. I, I, can't, I, I can't even make a cup of coffee right. You know what you can get right? Because Jesus has given you the gift to get it right. It's focusing on Him. Singing and preaching and making coffee and playing musical instruments and doing all of those things. It's just the noise that happens around the church. It's not the purpose of the church. I would rather come into a room and not preach, but just be together with people that are so focused on Jesus that the Word of God just explodes in the room. Every Wednesday night when we come together, if we are completely focused on Jesus, watch the numbers grow. That's just something that happens on the side. God will add to our numbers daily. Don't you worry about that. You worry that you walk in that door and not one of those spirits is camped on your shoulder, but only the thing that matters. And I'm going to show you through Revelation that the seven spirits are contradicted by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have been given everything we need to repel and go forward and focus on Jesus. You don't need to bring it. It's already been done. But wait, I'm sure there's a scripture about a guy who said that in the Bible. It is done. Every promise, every word, every intricate law, every Levitical device, every process of pastoring and leading a church, every moment of scripture is all embodied in one man, Jesus Christ. Focus on Him. And those spirits will flee you. They will go far away from you. And mediocrity and complacency will be nothing that you will ever have to worry about. So right now, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want to pray in the moment. Not for any particular thing. I want to pray some pretty broad things, but I'm sure you'll be able to snatch it in the Spirit and just receive it into your heart. Jesus came and he died for you. Blood was poured out. Blood was shed. It was a messy business. Because quite frankly, before Jesus, you were a mess. And so when Jesus died, it wasn't clean and neat and tidy. It was noisy. It was painful. It was joyful. And yet so very sad. It was release, and yet it was bondage. Jesus did it all. At the moment his blood was shed, he did it for you, for your children, for your children's children. He made sure that every human issue, 
that would ever create a mess and ever distract you was taken away off the spiritual scene so that you could concentrate on one source of light only. With the darkness behind you, the light in front of you was magnificent. So magnificent that in one moment it caught your attention like a, like a flash of light from a piece of mirror or a piece of glass. It caught your attention for that moment. But as that mess of life unfolds, that glimmer, that shaft of light, all of a sudden gets lost in the mess. And so Jesus, He says, you know what? I know you're going to lose sight of this blinding light every now and then. So I'm going to send anointing. I'm going to shed my blood and then I'm going to bring about some anointing into your life through the Holy Spirit so that you will feel me on the inside of you all the time. You will never have to lose sight. You will never have to feel inferior. You will never have to rely on behavior and tradition. You will always be able to see my light. And so He took us from the blood into anointing. And then as we began to realize why we were given that light, we began to go forth into all the world and shine that light and reflect that light. And as we began to rely and love on others, Jesus takes us through the power of the Holy Spirit from blood to anointing and into glory. And now, as we stand in all of His glory, He moves us from one type of glory to the next type of glory from one situation where light is needed to the next situation where light is needed. This is His promise to you. This is what this table before us means. It means that we receive His blood. We receive His anointing and we do it for His glory. This is communion. This is focusing on Jesus. So right now, just with heads bowed and eyes closed, if, if you need to focus on Jesus because you've been feeling a little inferior, hey, why don't you just raise your hand and say, yes, I've got, I, I think I'm not good enough for much. Amen. No one else can see. Maybe you, you've been become a little bit prideful in, in your Bible knowledge and you think, hey, I got this. I, I know where I'm going. I'm on fire for Jesus. Maybe that's you. And you're coming and you're looking and you're going, wow, I, I don't know how I could get much better than this. God's moving you from that glory to another glory. So stand ready for some change. If that's you, just shift your hand up and say, yeah, I'm ready for some change in my life. I want, I want to see new things. Holy Spirit, I want to learn new gifts. I want to learn how to do new things in the Holy Spirit. Just, just wave your hand. Yes, that's me. I want new. Amen. Whatever you've got that you want to change, you want to lose focus on, you want to focus on Jesus. Why don't you come and swap it for the blood of Jesus tonight? Because as you swap the things that hold you back for the blood of Jesus, He's promised He'll move you towards the anointing, towards the glory. This is His table. Not a table of death and burial. Not a table of a once-off moment. No, it's a table of glory, light and eternity laid for you tonight. To come forward and receive the body and the blood of Jesus Christ 
that was broken and shed for you. Pastor Micah, could I ask that you look after this table? Maybe the youth would like to, those of you, the youth would like to move that side and all of you old folk can come this side.